All right, um, we're going to do a little Waukesha story time. <laughs> I mean, if you don't know, we, we have a few visitors in here. My first name is Waukesha. I go by Justin just because kids are mean when you're growing up. And it, wa- it wasn't a cool name then, it is now. I wish I had it now, but everybody knows me as Justin. So here I am. But occasionally I like to bring it out because it's a clever name and it helps people remember. So we're going to do a little Waukesha story time. Uh, some of you know my history, some of you don't, but there's a point in time past all the crazy stuff when I was younger, when I grew up and we moved to Dolphin Island. Um, and I was still living for myself. I still had this idea that I was going to live fast, die young, um, and had no real thought about dying or life or anything, really. I was just kind of living for the moment, um, not really knowing. I was kind of um, defiant, but for no real reason, probably, just angry, <laughs> no purpose, uh, but at whatever point growing up, I grew up with, with a lot of fighting, fist fighting. And I'll never forget, I was talking to my friend Dana Watson. Many of you guys know Dana with the Children's Home. I was talking to Dana, and I'll never forget this conversation I had with him. And I was trying to explain a feeling of something or whatever. And I was like, you know how like when you get punched in the face and it leaves you kind of dazed, like you're not knocked out all the way, but you're just like, just dazed. And he was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never been punched in my face. And I, it didn't dawn on me that not everyone has been punched in their face. But to me, that was a pretty normal thing. So I was like, well, I can't describe to you the feeling that I'm talking about. Um, but for me growing up, I got punched in the face a lot um, until I learned that I need, and, and bear with me, <laughs> we got some visitors thinking, is this the pastor? Is this really? This? Sorry. So growing up, I'm getting somewhere. I'm going somewhere with this, so bear with me. Uh, so I grew up, and, and I learned uh, if I punch someone before they punch me, it usually works out better. <laughs> Just basic, basic you know, street knowledge. Um, and so as I came up, yeah. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm not like that now. I've been redeemed. I'm getting there. I'm going to progress. We'll go through this. And so back then, this was me. I got, okay, here, I got saved when I was 20. Okay, does that help? Yeah. Saved when I was 20. So this was before then. So as I grew up, I learned that uh, trait, <laughs> if you want to call it that. That, that way to do things, so I began to get pretty confident in my abilities to punch people in the face, apparently. I wasn't a bully or anything like that, but when situations arose, I was, I was quick to be the first aggressor, I guess if you could say, because I didn't like getting punched in the face. Uh, and so in the culture that I was in, that was pretty common. Um, we saw guns and things like that because we lived in a rough area, but for the most part, people fought mostly back then. Um, but as I came up and then we moved to Dolphin Island, there were still some struggles there and trying to fit in, and I didn't fit in. Um, and I was going to parties and doing all the things, and I was pretty pretty proud of my ability to be able to fight. And so if anything came up, I, w- I was, you know, don't disrespect. It's really stupid to talk about now, but this is who I was. It sounds silly, like me even saying it, but I was that way. Don't, don't disrespect me. Like, keep your name out of my mouth like I'm big and bad. Um, but that's how I was. I mean, that was me. That was who I was. And so... Try, I'm trying to get through this kind of quick. So fast forward, a lot of this, a lot of stupid stuff going on, and I end up at a party, and it's over a girl or something, and I was at a party with a bunch of people that I didn't know, um, <laughs> that I found out later, a bunch of people um, that were related, but a bunch of people that I didn't know, um, and we were doing the party thing and kegs and all that stuff, and um, <laughs> it sounds terrible. Uh, is this really? A, is this really the pastor? Those don't look like pastor shoes. <laughs> we should have. I got to see visitors. We should have. This church doesn't even have a steeple. We should have went down the road a little ways. Is this like a warehouse? I think I saw a crate in the foyer. We get it. 
you have Pinterest. All right, so, <laughs> so anyway, I, I'm at this party, and, and I've still got this attitude that I'm big and bad and everything and indestructible, and uh, this guy comes up to me who I've had some beef with in the past, and he wants to fight. And uh, so I'm like, okay, I've been here before. Let's see how this goes down. And he starts talking smack, and I'm just listening, listening, listening. And he throws his hands down and looks away, and I'm like, got him. <laughs> got him. This is my opportunity. I don't want to talk. I don't want to bump shoulders. I'm going to punch him in his face. <laughs> and so I went to do that. I was already ready. And as I did, uh, a grown man, I was probably 17, a grown man, probably 30-something years old, <laughs> who was his cousin, I didn't know at the time. I found out later. Already had his shirt off, apparently prepared, and grabbed me from behind before I could get a swing and about knocked my wind out. He grabbed, like, boom. And I thought, I had a few friends with me, not very many, but I thought, maybe this is my buddy Lurch, who we nicknamed Lurch, um, who's a big guy. I thought, maybe he's trying to just get me out of here or whatever. Well, then the guy starts, like, punching me in the back of the head. I was like, that's not Lurch. <laughs> and so, uh, so I, I break loose of him, and I end up, hitting him enough to get him off of me. And then it felt like everybody in the party jumped on top of me and was just like pounding away at me. Like, I'm fighting everybody at the whole place. I don't even know who, I don't know half these people. I'm just swinging and they're hitting and it's just chaos. Until this guy named, and real specific memories, but I remember this guy named Joey, who I found out later, was a bouncer. I don't know why he was there. He was older than us too. Got me out of there and put, physically picked me up and put me up against the wall and said, you need to get out of here. They're going to kill you. <laughs> At that time, I was like, I'm fighting everybody. I could take everybody on. I wasn't doing very well, but I thought I was. And he got my attention and said, you need to get out of here. <laughs> You're going to die here tonight if you don't get out of here. These guys aren't playing. So I was like, all right, I calm down. I said, I'll get out of here. So I go to leave down this long driveway. And as I'm leaving, I find Lurch and a couple of my other friends. I'm like, man, let's get out of here. We'll you know, deal with this later. And so we're walking down this long driveway, and it's pitch black. There's like woods to the left of me. And all of a sudden, I, I, I hear something. I look over, and somebody's grabbed lurch and thrown and he's a big dude he's probably six something 300 pounds threw him like in the woods what was that uh corn-fed redneck guy that was behind me uh as because as i turned around he caught me in the jaw hard and that feeling i was telling you about <laughs> that was a feeling i wasn't completely knocked out but I, I i literally said it out loud as i was falling i think you broke my jaw <laughs> i think you broke my jaw and i was spinning and i was trying to catch myself because i knew i needed to get back up and defend myself but i couldn't because i had that that kind of almost stand up knocked out feeling um, as I hit the ground and many of those big guys began to just beat the mess out of me kicking, punching I'll never forget I was, I was I'm still trying to logically think I need to guard I, don't, I knew I'd seen like little pocket knives and stuff that rednecks keep I was like somebody's about to stick me so I need to hold my head and try to guard my ribs because I'd rather them you know, I don't want them to cut my throat or something I don't want to die here um, but I remember bawling up and thinking this is it <laughs> you know this is it for me this is how it ends. Um, and I remember praying for the first time in a long time. Um, and like I said, I had these plans to, to live fast and die young, but I wasn't ready. <laughs> I wasn't ready right then because I remember praying, um, God, I don't want to die. I don't want to die in this yard um, right now. Um, and they, they continued to, to kick me and hit me, and so much so that a couple times when they kicked me in the stomach, I lost control of my bowels even, and, and it was terrible. You talk about a humbling experience. Um, I wasn't real big and bad at that moment. Ten minutes earlier, I could have taken on the world. But at that moment, I, 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 was, I was very much put in a very vulnerable position, to say the least. But I remember praying. And many of you have probably prayed this, maybe not in the same situation. But God, if you get me out of this. <laughs> How many of you said that? If you just get me out of this. If you just get me out of this. 
I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. And I didn't, and nobody stabbed me. I, I made it through. Uh, that bouncer guy came out and, and, and got him off of me and kind of drug me to my, my vehicle, and I, I left and went home. And very sober experience, sobering experience for me as a, as a 17-year-old. Um, and many of you know later on, maybe it might have been, it was the next year. I didn't change. I, I didn't keep up my end of the promise. Uh, God spared me, <laughs> but I didn't keep up my end of the promise. I, at 18, I got arrested. Uh, <laughs> is this really the pastor? I got, uh, I got arrested. First offense, felony, like swing for the fences, Justin. Way to go. Um, but really just transitioned my life to see where I was going. What am I living for? What's the point of all this? Um, fast forward a little bit. Um, get through a lot of that with lawyers and selling my car and quitting high school and getting my GED, paying restitution, the whole nine yards, um, really evaluating what my life was about. Looking back, I can see the Lord was working in all of it. Got a job at Mobile Paint. This guy, Jarrett, starts ministering to me, ended up getting saved. And there's even more behind that the Lord was, was placing in my life to happen. Um, not to say the Lord caused all that stuff. I was pretty, I was pretty, I was pretty voluntary. I mean, I was in those positions because that's where I wanted to be. But the Lord reminded me of that last night as I was deciding if I was even going to make it here today. Um, but he, he brought me back to that place when I was thinking about what I was going to teach here today. And I, I'll get back to it in a little bit. But I really, I thought I was going to die there. Uh, and I want you to just kind of remember that as we, as we go into this. And I'll come back to it um, in a moment. But we're going to start in, in Romans 6.1. Uh, <clears throat> and we're going to read through a lot. We're going to read all the way through whew, to 23 at least. And this is basically the end of the sermon from last week because we just kind of ran out of time. And it basically finishes up the sin. I was talking about freedom and talking about sin. And freedom's a funny thing because it makes you deal with uh, what you really want to do. It's easy for me to set up rules or boundaries for you and for you to follow them or anybody else to do that. But when I say you're free to do what you want, you really have to deal with what you want to do. It's just a peculiar position it puts you in. So we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about sin a little bit more and kind of how this, how this weighs in our lives. I know. And uh, let's see, we'll start in six. We'll start in 6. <clears throat> well, this is 6.1. I'm sorry, not 6. 6.1. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. He's basically saying no. We are those who have what? Died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? This is a positional thing. How can you live in something that you've died to? Verse 3. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ... Uh, we're baptized into Christ Jesus. We're baptized into his death. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to stop here before we move on anymore. All the way through Scripture, you can see a, a recurring theme of Jesus talking to his disciples and talking to other people. And when he does that, they, they always get frustrated and they ask him a bunch of dumb questions. <laughs> Sometimes we ask those too. And he constantly pulls back and goes, how much, you know, like, how much longer do I need to be with you until you understand that I'm talking about spiritual things? These things will manifest in the, in, in the natural, but I'm talking to you about spiritual things. So keep that in mind when you're reading this. 
going back to me, I thought I was going to die at that party. I was thinking of physical death. Now, what he's saying here is, you've died to sin. When Jesus was crucified, your old life was crucified with it. He's not talking about a physical death here. Verse 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Listen, he's not just talking about when you die and go to heaven. He's talking about current. He's talking about uh, the reality that you live in now. He's talking about when you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive new life. Yes, you died to sin. That's important. But you also received new life. Remember the Fusacles fries? That's easy. <laughs> uh, Bill remembers because he got some the other night <laughs> with bacon and cheese on it. If you don't know, you can get bacon and cheese on your fries. But he did, it was the twofold Fusacles thing. It just helps you remember it. But you didn't just die to sin, but you were, you were raised to new life with Christ. So we too may live a new life presently. Verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. Another version says rendered powerless. What, <clears throat> what, we should, what we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Praise the Lord. He is with us. We live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. He can't die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Now back up. Who lives with him? Us. Verse 10, the death he died, he died to sin temporarily. He died to sin Unless you really mess up? No. He died to sin once for all. We talk about past, past, present, future sins. All sins were future when he died, as far as you're con- anybody in this room is concerned. <laughs> once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. It doesn't get any clearer. I can't even really expound on that. (laughs) Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourselves to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourselves to him as instrument of righteousness. Now, what he's saying here is is this is good practical wisdom. This is saying you were no, it's like saying you, you were a slave and now you're free and you want to go back to being a slave. That's what it's saying. It's saying your old life is dead and you've got new life. Don't try to drag around your old life and, and tr- continually try to resurrect it because it's pointless and it's going to make you miserable and it's going to get you nowhere. Don't offer your new life as, as, as tools for the old one. But, the, but the, you have to see this visually. I always imagine like a dead body laying here. It has no power. Can you, remember, can you remember the power it once had? Yes. Can you be deceived or tricked into thinking that you need or, or that the things that the, the old life had for you are good? Yeah, you can. 
You can, you can fall for that for a time, I think. But if the Holy Spirit's with you, it doesn't take long, and I, and, I, and I speak from experience here, it doesn't take long to see how short-lived sin is. Now, we defined sin last week, and we'll go back to it real quick before I finish this up. Sin from Webster's Dictionary or, or whatever dictionaries were online, basically say missing the mark, guilt, sin, a fault, failure, in an ethical sense. Now, that's on the surface. That's what it is, and that's very much what it appears to be. If you go all the way back to the, to the Greek, harmatia, this is the core of it. Now, you know me. I don't like to hang out on the surface. I like to get to the core of the issue. It is self-originated, self-empowered nature. It is not originated or empowered by God. This is the definition of sin in the Greek. Not of faith, his inworked persuasion. Now look at Romans 14.22 real quick. We're going to come back. We're going to come back to Romans uh, 6. Romans 14.22 says, uh, So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Talking about self. Um, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith. Now he's talking about what he was talking about earlier in the verse, but here's the key right here. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. That's the key. Anything, all right. Anything that, uh, anything, thank you. Anything. Anything that does not come from faith is sin. Anything that does, does not come from the Holy Spirit is sin. Anything that does not come from faith in Christ is sin. That's a much more simple explanation of what it is. Now, in, in that, it produces all those things on the surface, guilt, all the, all the bad things. Those will be the results. Those are the fruit, not the root. The root is living outside of Christ or trying to live outside of Christ when you have Christ with you. That's all sin is. The whole, you know, where, where is death sting? Where is sin sting? It's gone. Where eternal life, now I've said this before, and I'm going to have to reevaluate this a little bit because I've said eternal life starts not when you die, and I agree with that. I always said it starts when you receive Christ, and that's true. But here's the thing. It doesn't just start there. It's that he comes and gives you eternal life because that's something that you can't have on your own. Because think about this. Eternal life has no beginning and no end. You had a beginning, right? So if you've received eternal life, that in itself is supernatural saying that this is not my life anymore. This, this life that's eternal has no beginning and no end. So it's not that just it's been added to us, but it in and of itself is life to us. It has no beginning and no end. Side note. Um, so we're dead to sin. Verse 14. For sin shall no longer be your master... Because you are not under the law, but under grace. So sin is no longer your master. Verse 15. So what then? Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? Once again, by no means. Basically, no. Don't be dumb. Don't you know that when you, were <clears throat> that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness... But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that, I love this, that has now claimed your allegiance. That has now claimed your allegiance. He's done it for you. You have been set free from sin and have become 
what? Slaves to righteousness. So we're now no longer slaves to sin, we're slaves to righteousness. I've heard it said like this, you step out of a, the, the prison of sin and you step into the prison of righteousness. It sounds bad because Christ says that we're free and where Christ is, we're free. And that's true. But the only thing we're not free from is righteousness. <laughs> it's the only thing we're enslaved to is righteousness. Now you can try, you can try your hardest and you guys know some of my experiences where I, I tried not to be or I tried to, to see things from a different perspective. I tr- but I, I'm, I'm a slave to righteousness now because the Holy Spirit did something that I couldn't do on my own. So, let me see where I am. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that you used to be slaves to sin. You have now come to obey from your heart, from the pattern of teachings, now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin. Now you're slave to righteousness. Verse 19, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. So he's using basically a, a bit of an analogy as far as the slave thing goes. And I think he's saying that because we are free in Christ. He's just trying to help you understand how foundational this is. Um, just as you just as you used to offer yourselves to slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves to slaves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Now here's what's interesting. I can go back to my life before I was born again. And there may have been times when I felt a little bit guilty about some of the things that I did, but for the most part I didn't. For the most part, I was living for myself, and so the satisfaction that I got was good enough for me, and I just seeked more of it. I don't know if you guys have experienced that before you were born again. I lived for myself, and so I was fairly satisfied with a lot of the things that I did. Um, It was enough to keep me doing those things, I guess. Never really gave it a second thought, never really evaluated it too much. I just did it. Um, And after I was born again, those things not only lost their flavor, lost their desire, not all of them, but most of them lost that, but even the ones that I tried to do after I got saved, they fell flat really quickly, much more so than before I got saved. They, they revealed themselves as how limited they were. Now, why is that? It's because I had tasted something better. It's not because I just felt bad about them, although I did. It was because I saw something better. I tasted something better. I knew of something better. I had a greater satisfaction in Christ. I had a greater acceptance. I had a greater understanding. I had a greater love, an unconditional love that wasn't based on my ability to, I call it hustle. I grew up hustling. You do for me, I do for you. You do for me, I do for you. This love that he gave was all on him. He was like, I love you regardless of what you do. And that kind of love prompts me to do good. It isn't a hustle. It isn't a trade. That's why I encourage you guys all the time, love with no strings attached. We do this thing with the, with the, uh, the kids. We, we, we're giving them candy. You know, we invite them for the jumpy houses and things like that. And we raise our kids in this environment that you can just love people. It's okay. You don't, you don't always have to expect something in return. And our culture will tell you people owe you something. You're entitled. And if you haven't seen some of the, some of the young people growing up around us, they grow up. People owe me something, right? And not just money, not just, not just in jobs and different things like that, but in relationships. I do for you, you do for me. You see, the, the, the marriages fall apart sometimes because the other person doesn't hold up their end of the bargain because they look at it, they're looking at the marriage as a contract and not a covenant. You do for me, I do for you, you do for me. You fail, I'm out. Now, I'm not trying to 
heap uh, pain or judgment on anybody that's been divorced because I, there's complete restoration for that. But I'm just saying there is a, there is a culture that is very um, apathetic towards that. Does that make sense? This culture says, whatever, you do for me, I do for you, and if you don't hold up your end of the bargain, I'm out. And that's not a, that's, that's not a good place to be. I'm chasing a rabbit. It's the, it's the pseudofed. That's what I'm going to blame anyway. Um, let's see. Da, 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 da. You're free from the control. Back then, you're free from the control of righteousness. Now, I could, do, I could do righteous things back then, but they didn't make me any more righteous, right? I could do good deeds, but that didn't make me a righteous person. It just meant I did good things. Same way, I can do bad things now if I want to, but it doesn't make me any less righteous. Does that make sense? It makes me not fit my character and who I really am, but I, I have freedom to do that if I want to. In the same way, I had freedom to do good things back then, but it didn't make me good. So it's an identity, it's an identity issue. It's a trust issue. Verse 21, what benefit did you reap <clears throat> at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things resulted in death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Everybody knows that verse. They, they, they take that one off and, and just hang it by itself. But if you look at it in its context, it's not emphasizing, it's not overemphasizing the wages of sin. It's just explaining how much better we have it in Christ. It's saying, look, look at your old life. You saw what came of that. You saw how dead end it was. You saw how dead it was. Look at new life. Look how much better you have it now. Don't, don't waste it away being non-productive. See, a lot of things that, that quote-unquote grace preachers get attacked for is, is throwing out any, any discipleship or any discipline or any practical wisdom or any encouragement. Or, I don't, where did that come from? I never said that. Nobody ever said that. These are all good things that we have and that we want to teach people and want them to understand. But like I said during worship and what the Holy Spirit was, was speaking to me through worship, if you don't trust and know the Lord that's teaching you, you're not going to listen. Think about the teachers in school or, or anybody that tries to teach you. If they've got a bad reputation, you're not going to listen to what they have to say, are you? Or you're, you're, going to, you're going to take it for what they're worth. Does that make sense? You're going to take whatever they're teaching you, okay, not do as I do, but not, or do as I say, not as I do kind of attitude. No, I want to see, can you back it up? I want to see what you do. And so you're going to learn from those that you trust. You're going, to, you're going to take into consideration the words that people speak into you that you know care about you. That's why relationship's paramount. That's why relationship in the Lord's paramount. That's why we all want answers. Oh, we all want answers. Trust me, I want all the answers. I'm analytical. I like to break things down. But I could never fully understand how good God was until I really understood how good God was. Now, that sounds a little trite. But I could never comprehend intellectually how good God was until supernaturally the Holy Spirit showed me how good God was. I heard teachings on sonship and, and grace and, and kingdom for years, but until the Holy Spirit met me right where I was and showed me supernaturally what that meant, it changed me forever. And I knew that God was good, and I knew that he, his, his interest was in me, um, and he was for me, and it was that father that I needed. It was the real deal kind of thing. Then, when I read scripture, it changes my perspective, right? It's not about do's, don'ts, these, thou's, rights, wrongs. It's, okay, this is my loving father 
who is teaching me. He's, this, is, this is for my benefit. We've talked about it before. The Lord doesn't, is not telling you don't commit adultery because, you know, because you won't, it won't be good or whatever. He don't want you to get shot. <laughs> he don't want you to, he knows what's best for you. He really knows what's best for you. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't give you, like, rules to make you unhappy. You know what I mean? He, he gives you <laughs> encouragement to go down a path that's going to help you. He wants to help you. In the same way, within this church, we want to help each other and encourage each other to go down, to go down these paths. Not because he's going to break communion with you or that he's going to be mad at you. He's just like, hey, I made you. I know how you work. I know what's good for you. Come talk to me. What are you dealing with? We talk about it all the time. Do you trust him or don't you? Either we trust him or we don't. So when you're going through situations, seek godly advice from friends, but also seek the Holy Spirit. Lord, what do you think about this decision that I'm about to make? What do you think about... Uh, what's going on? How should I treat this situation? How should I, how should I address this person? How, okay, I'm reading the scripture. I don't understand it. Holy Spirit, bring light to me. Bring, help me understand it clear in its context. And so, going back to the definition of sin. Sin is, sin is trying to do something in your own power and ability outside the will of God. It's a trust issue, not a behavioral issue. The behavior is a result of the belief or trust. It's the fruit, not the root. Now, so many times um, within the church, Big C Church, we want to tackle the surface stuff. We want to get to the. We want to. We want to get people to act right and behave right because it makes us look better, right? It makes you look better, act better, because you make me look bad. But that's what that's what the church. But more importantly, you need you need a transformation in your heart before you'll ever truly. Act better. And acting better, we don't need more actors. <laughs> We've got plenty of actors that come in church and put a, put a mask on. This place should be a place where you can fall apart if you need to. I'll be the first one to do it from the pulpit. So don't, don't ever be ashamed to fall apart in here because it's okay. You don't have to put a mask on. So we don't need more actors in the church. We certainly don't need them out there in the world. You go out there and you put a mask on, the world will see right through it. You want to be self-righteous? You want to... You you want to be perfect? You want to be better than people? We talk about casting your pearls before swine. That swine's going to, going to trample you one day if you think that you're better than them. They're going to find something in you that you are faulty, that you do have a, an issue with. That's why grace trumps all that stuff. Um, I love this. I'll read this, and then I'll, I'll kind of go back over my story real quick and wrap up. But um, sin always overpromises and underlivers. Always overpromises and underdelivers. So don't give the fear of a dead life power it doesn't have. Um, a common, common teaching that I used to hear and sometimes I've even taught was kind of the, the two dogs fighting, whichever one, whichever one you feed wins kind of thing, um, which sounds good, but it's not true. The truth is our new identity in Christ is what we live from. There aren't two dogs. There aren't two lives. Your old life is dead. Your new life is in Christ. You need to be perpetually reminding yourself of your new, Christ, your new life in Christ. And you need to be encouraging others about their new life in Christ so they can live from that place. So it comes from here out. Not, i got to convince myself that I'm good. No, Christ has made you good. I need, to, I need to remind myself, metanoia, renewing of the mind. I need to remind myself of how good God has made me. And in doing so, I remind other people of how good God has made them. It's seeing the potential in them. 
So Romans 5, 18 through 21, I like this in the message version. Eugene Peterson says, here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong and got us all into this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. One man said yes to God and put many, many in the right. All that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. Let me read that again. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins, hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death, and that's the end of it. Listen how powerless that is. All sin can do is threaten us with death, and that's the end of it. Grace, because God is, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life, a life that goes on and on and on, a world without end, supernatural, no beginning and no end. This is a supernatural life that we've been invited into. All sin can do is threaten you of a life that's dead and has no power over you. All it can do is try to convince you that your source is not Christ when it actually is. Now, all these things he's talking about, death and life, death and life, death and life. Do you hear that recurring theme throughout Romans? Death and life, death and life. He's talking about spiritual death and spiritual life. We died with the fall of man and Adam and Eve. Christ came, restored our relationship with the Father, and we have new life. If we accept that, that gift that he's given us, we have new life in Christ, right? New life. Sin, dead, gone. New life in Christ. Simple enough. Now, what I was talking about earlier, this, this renewing of our mind, our, our righteousness that's found in Christ in our hearts renews our mind of who we are, and it reminds us of who we are. It's even above our own conscience. The truth that God says about you is the truth, even above your own self-doubt or self-righteousness. The truth that God says about you is the truth about you. Now, what's interesting is the more you discover that, the more you begin to see the truth of what God says about other people. And let's, let's rewind back to, and I, and I tell my stories because I've had a really interesting life. Not, not interesting like great, but interesting like weird. I've had a really weird life. But I've got a lot of stories, and I know them very well, so I don't boast in my life, but I boast in what Christ has done in my life. Amen. And the reason, the reason I tell you that is, is to encourage you that, that you're, not, you're not beyond reaching. Because in that, in that field, when I thought I was going to die physically, I was already dead. <laughs> Spiritually, I was dead. I was walking dead guy. I was dead already. My fear was in physical death. I had a fear of that. For whatever reason, I was afraid to die physically. I didn't understand fully what that meant. I didn't understand afterlife. I didn't really know. I mean, I'd heard stories, but I wasn't convinced of that, you know, in my mind. I didn't know. I just didn't want to die. I wasn't really ready to die physically. But the truth was I was, I was dead spiritually already. I was, I was a dead guy. But what the Lord saw in me back then, which happened a few years later when I was 20, he saw a father and he saw a husband and he saw a pastor. And, and that punk, <laughs> and that arrogant punk kid, he saw something that I didn't see in myself. And he, without me even knowing it, 
placed people in my life to give me plenty of opportunity, some that I passed up on and some that I eventually accepted, gave me plenty of opportunity to see him through my circumstances. And my circumstances were terrible. Probably many others are worse, much worse than mine. But from my perspective, were pretty bad. But through my circumstances, he saw fit. He saw fit to call me out of that life, to call me from death to new life. And, I, and like I said, I don't say that to boast about myself. I say that to boast about Christ. I say that to boast about his grace. I say that to boast about new life and forgiveness of sins because there were many. And so I say that so that you can see it. I want you to see it for yourself, for your life. Christ doesn't have a, a formula or a key other than himself. We've talked about the narrow gate and the wide gate. It's, it's, it's Jesus, period. Not Jesus and anything else. Not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus, period. And I was asked, uh, I've been asked before, and I was asked recently if we, you know, if we do at the end of services, ask for an altar call and, and salvation. And, and we don't every Sunday, but when I feel the Holy Spirit leading us that way, I do. And I feel the Holy Spirit leading us today for that. So um, if you guys will stand up with me. Um, like I said there, there, there's no formula there's no key I can remember the, the day that I got saved or I was born again and I remember I remember repeating a prayer but I don't remember what it was but what I do remember is what happened in my heart I do remember crying big surprise I do remember crying and, and accepting, uh, which was very difficult for me, accepting new life and giving up control, which was very hard for me. Growing up in the environment, I always thought that I needed to be in control because no one was going to be there for me. And, and transferring that over to Christ was very difficult. It wasn't an easy transition for me. But I want to tell you, if, if, if the Lord's speaking to you right now, and you've not had that experience, then I don't want you, I don't want you to doubt your salvation. If, if you've been born again, praise God. But I want to invite you right now, just uh, in this moment, if, if the Lord's speaking to you and you've never experienced that, that fullness of life, I just feel like he's saying, it's as easy as saying yes. <laughs> it's, as easy, it's as easy as saying, I accept the gift that you've, had, that you've given me. Now, if you, want to, if you want to walk up here and pray at the altar, I'll be glad to pray for you at a distance or get somebody else to so I don't give you any, any of my germs. But you can accept him right where you are. He, he, he knows no time and space. You can just say yes right now. And so in essence, like I said, it's not a, it's not a key, it's not a formula of certain words or certain scriptures that necessarily say, but it's just an accepting of the gift that he's, that he's given for you freely. And it doesn't matter what you've done, what you haven't done, what you're going to do, what you're not going to do. It's a hard issue. And we're all susceptible to it. As the Holy Spirit, I just speak right now directly to you, Lord, and, and, and whoever's in this place that hasn't experienced this, this new life, 
I want to encourage them. It's a trade-up. It's definitely a trade-up. There are many things that I experienced that I thought would be the, the next big thing and, and that would bring me fulfillment and enjoyment, and none of them were as good as you. Jesus, none of them were as good as you. And so if anyone has any doubt in this place, I speak from my own experience, and I know many in here would say the same thing. Listen, it's a trade-up. All you have to do is accept it and just say, Christ, here I am. Here I am. I accept your gift. I give you this dead life and this heart of stone. And Lord, place your new heart in me, a heart of flesh, a heart of life, a heart of new life. And I accept the gift that you've given me. And listen, if you've done that today, please just pray about it. Talk to the Lord. Speak to the Holy Spirit. Come get with me today or a week from now or two weeks from now and let's talk more about it. Listen, we'll have baptism coming up and we'll, if, if, if you'd like, we'll make a public display of what's happening, what's happening in your heart. And it's as simple as that. It's just an outward uh, display of what's happened inside. And it's your old life. The life that was self-reliant, self-righteous, self-everything. And it's giving up and now it's Christ-likeness. It's Christ's life. It's Christ living in you and through you. And he's not trying to take away your fun, take away your joy. He's not some cosmic killjoy that doesn't want you to be happy. He created joy. And he will produce in you great joy and laughter like you've never had before. So, Father, I thank you for any decision that's been made in here, Lord. You know who it is and you know why and you know how. And so, Lord, just manifest your nature in them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I made it.